the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I will come, I will bring up what he is doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. All right, um, so I'm going to start off this morning just by asking you all sort of a, a, just an abstract question of how do you know that what I'm going to say up here this morning is true? Um, how can you, like sitting where you are right now, have confidence in what I'm going to say this morning? Most of you know me, some of you might not know me at all, um, and what even gives me the right to get, get up here and speak in the first place, really? I didn't go to seminary. I didn't um, take any classes on uh, hermeneutics or eschatology. In fact, I barely even know what those words mean. Uh, um, right. I'll stop asking questions before you all just leave. Uh, but I think the question of who we listen to as a church is really important. Um, for example, I'll just give you a hypothetical. What if one morning you showed up here and Tim Keller was up here to preach? You probably wouldn't ask, you know, what gives him the authority to do so. Most of you have probably read his books or listened to his sermons, and you know he's a a well-known preacher with a solid reputation. Um, I would be excited to hear him speak, and you probably would too. And and right now on our phones, we even have access to basically everything he's ever written or spoken. Um, But So that one's easy, but on the other hand, let's give maybe a more obvious one of the other situation. What if you showed up here... And I apologize if you're not a local Clevelander, but what if you showed up here and local billboard icon, Tim Misney, got up to preach? Um, And you you would probably have a lot of questions. Uh, First, just like, is this a good idea? Uh, Is he, I didn't even know if he's a Christian. And maybe even asking, could he really make them pay? Uh, If you don't know who Tim Misney is, just drive around Cleveland for like 10 minutes and you'll see a a bald man pointing at you. Um, So the difference between those two seems obvious. Uh, On one hand, we have Tim Keller, who's a strong Christian pastor with a really strong reputation. And on the other hand, we have someone we don't know much about who just has a reputation for spending too much on advertising. Um, But what about, we'll stick with the theme of Tim's. What if you showed up and Tim Tebow came up to preach? You know, he he has a Christian reputation. He's 
done public speaking. Um, so what would give you, would you be confident in what he would say? Would you not be confident in what he would say? Would you think it was right for him to be up here? Um, that's just kind of a hypothetical. Um, but who we listen to as a church is, has always been really important as a body of Christ. Um, wherever we've gathered and whenever we've gathered. Um, how can, how you can, and the question of how you can have confidence in what I'm going to say this morning or what Chris says when he gets up to preach on a regular Sunday morning, um, I think it's a, it's a concern that Third John can really address for us. Um, so let's dig into the book a little bit and see what the author has for us this morning. Um, so just a little bit of background first off. Sorry. Um, Third John was written sometime in the second half of the first century A.D., around like 70 A.D. is the best estimate. Um, and it's part of sort of a set of three letters we have um, in the first, second, and third John, written by most likely the Apostle John. Um, and even though they are separate letters, um, and I only read third John this morning, we can see they touch, they'll touch on a lot of the same themes. So if you ever get a chance to just sit down and read through all three of the books, I'd really encourage you to do that. Um, and I'm actually, I'll pull a little bit from 1 John because 1 John gives us some answers to some of the, the questions that might come up when we read 3 John. Um, and unlike many New Testament letters um, written by Paul or by, by the apostles, 3 John isn't written to a specific church. It's actually written to a specific individual. Um, that, that person's name is Gaius. Um, and it's kind of unique in that it's a short book. I think it's the shortest in the New Testament. Um, but it actually addresses three different people directly by name. Um, so we're going to take a look at those three people because I think the themes of the book, which are truth and hospitality, um, are all shown through those three people. So we're going to kind of, that's kind of how I'm going to break it up. I'm going to look at each three people individually. Um, and those are Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And we'll look at how those themes play out in those people's lives. So let's take a look at uh, Gaius first. Um, and if that name, if, you're, if you've read a lot of the Bible and that name sounds familiar, um, there are other Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament, um, for example, in Acts or Romans, but it's not likely this is the same person. That was a, that was a common name during that time. Um, so we don't know that this is the same one that's talked about in previous books. Um, but John writes this letter to Gaius to encourage him in his faith and to warn him of some of the troubling news that John has received about another believer in the city where Gaius's church is. Um, so in the opening verses, we see that some fellow Christians who had been staying with Gaius have brought news from Gaius back to John um, and told John about Gaius's faithfulness to the truth. Um, the ESV says in verse 3 that they testified to his truth. Um, and that's not his truth or your truth in like the 21st century like postmodern way. What they're really trying to say is they're testifying to his faithfulness to the truth. Um, so Gaius has shown himself to them to be a man of truth, and John is encouraged to hear about Gaius' faithfulness. But what, is it, what does it mean to be faithful to the truth as a Christian? Um, and, and in some ways, exactly what it sounds like. Um, as Christians, we worship, or we say we worship, a God of truth, and we are called to reflect our creator. So we are specifically committed to being people of truth. Um, that means a lot of things. That, that means the truth of the gospel, because that's, you know, that is the central tenet at the heart of Christianity. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'll talk a little bit more about that specifically later. But 
I think it also means we are committed to being people of truth in every area of our lives. Um, Because we aren't just called to reflect Christ when we're specifically sharing the gospel with someone or when we're in church. We're called to be that, reflect Christ in every area of our life. Um, So we have to be people of truth in every area of our life. And just, just because we have the right theology doesn't mean we'll be instinctively right in every other life situation. Um, just because we believe the Bible, the, the Bible doesn't tell us, you know, if 9-11 was an inside job or uh, if the earth is flat or if a hot dog is a sandwich. Um, it's not, by the way. Um, but that doesn't mean that the truth in those situations doesn't matter or that we aren't called to be people of truth in those situations. We are called to be faithful to the truth in each and every area of our lives. And contrary, I think, to what we may, we may think, that's not always easy. Um, if anything, because we are Christians, we should realize that our hearts are de- deceptive and our minds are fallible, so that it actually takes work to find the truth in a lot of situations, and our mind isn't always just going to immediately go to the truth. Um, so if you ask someone today, do you th- if Christians as a people are known as like being particularly truthful people, what response do you think you would get? Um, I, we, you know, we live in a time of a lot of conflicting information being put in front of us through social media and news. And do you think Christians as a people have been in a particular example of discernment and wisdom in the midst of all this uncertainty? I, I know for myself, I would prop to say probably not. Um, we, are, we can be quick to share things that fit our particular point or opinion and slow to hear anything that might challenge us. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm good at this either. Uh, my personal kind of social media habit slash addiction is Twitter. Um, and recently they introduced this new functionality that when you would like share a news article, it would just give you a little prompt that would say like, did you actually read the article before you're sharing it? Um, and I'm embarrassed by the amount of times where that actually like stopped me and was like, you know what, no, I actually didn't read that article. I was just putting it out there because I liked the headline. Um, and that's, that's tricky because we, we, we see the headline and it supports whatever we, we believe or whatever we want to show others we believe, um, but we don't actually do the research to see if, you know, the underlying article is true or if who wrote it is credible. Um, we just want to get that out into the world. And a lot of the time that, that's especially tricky because the person who wrote the headline isn't even the person who actually wrote the underlying article. They just write it to get the most clicks or uh, shares on social media. Um, so being people of truth requires work on our part and it requires taking time to learn and gain understanding. Um, especially because the truth at times may hit close to home. Uh, Maybe this pastor who I looked up to has weaknesses that I didn't want to see, or maybe what I was taught as a kid doesn't actually line up with what God's word really has to say. Um, But we can have confidence in going after the truth no matter how tough it may seem because it's the very nature of our Heavenly Father. Um, And it isn't just enough to know the truth. We see John rejoices that Gaius is walking in the truth. So our head knowledge has to translate into action. We can't just talk the talk, we have to actually walk the walk. And our actions have to line up with the truth as well. So does the way we live our lives reflect the truth? 
And when it comes to the truth of God's word, it's not just enough to know it's true. We actually have to understand it, believe it, and live it out. Um, Too often we want to take our head knowledge of God's word and twist it to fit our personal worldview rather than actually digging into it and letting it transform us and the way we live our lives. Um, In recent weeks, we've seen this on both sides of our political aisle. Um, Just to give some recent examples of how we kind of manipulate God's word, uh, Joe Biden, in a speech on the ongoing turmoil in Afghanistan um, during the unrest, quoted uh, uh, the book of Isaiah in his speech when he said, I've drawn inspiration from the book of Isaiah when the Lord says, who shall I send? The American military has been answering for a long time. Here I am, send me. And I don't know, whatever you may think of our armed forces, um, I don't think I would say they're called quite the same way as a prophet of God. Um, so that was, that was one example. But on the other hand, we, have, we had a right-wing rally. A woman was interviewed on her skepticism to follow medical advice uh, on the COVID-19 vaccine, said, I want to listen to what God is saying. It's a time where God is separating the sheep from the goats. I'm a goat, not a sheep, because I'm not doing what they tell me to do. Um, And if you're not familiar, that passage is from Matthew, and I'm hoping you'd rather be a sheep than a goat, where you go into eternal life rather than uh, eternal torment. Um, so, but that's, that's how we sometimes treat God's word. We want to pull passages from it to fit our, what our worldview is, not actually learn from it and let it challenge us. And if we really want to, we can probably pick out a verse or passage and twist it and manipulate it to fit whatever viewpoint we're hoping to validate. Simply knowing the verse isn't enough. We must approach scripture openly and allow it to challenge and change us as who we are. We have to study it and understand the true meaning behind it, and we have to translate that belief into action. And today, especially, we're blessed with more access to God's word and more resources to understand it and interpret it than anybody in history. Um, So we don't really have an excuse. It wasn't like that for Gaius. Gaius probably didn't have a lot in terms of written word, in terms of what we would think of as the Bible. He probably didn't have almost any of that. all he would probably have had was the letters he received from his fellow believers, like this one. Um, we, and we have the wisdom of generations of Christians passed down um, over hundreds of years, literally just sitting there in our phones if we want to look it up. Um, so we can lean on the wisdom of those who came before us and other believers around us today. Um, but most importantly, we have God's Spirit. He's promised to help us and guide us. And that doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy. I think you know, we can't treat the Holy Spirit like it's a fact-checking service in our head that's just going to cross out any false thoughts. Well, the Spirit is there to inspire us to delve deeper into God's Word and into our relationship with our Heavenly Father and to learn more about Him and understand and worship Him even more. Um, as Christians, we believe God's Word is a living thing that should act upon our hearts with the help of the Spirit. And this comes to this, what something Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3. Um, in verse 16 and 17, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we are all undergoing that process of perfection that he talks about here. And that includes reproof and correction of ourselves. 
Um, so change is an ongoing part of the Christian life, and we have to realize our own weakness and fault and allow God to change our hearts. But fortunately, you know, just, just like Gaius and us, we're not alone in this. We're, we have co-laborers with us. Um, and it, may, it might not have been quite as easy for him as it is for us, but we see he welcomes his fellow brothers who've traveled to him. That's what, something that John hits on here in verses five, and eight, 5 to 8. And we can see that those messengers that John had sent had been well-received and well-supported by Gaius. As Christians, we are all called to love and care for all people, but we have a particular hospitality obligation towards our fellow believers in Christ. Um, in all likelihood, Gaius probably didn't know who these messengers were that, got, that John had sent when they arrived at his house, but he did know John. Um, most likely, the messengers would have been carrying with them um, a letter from John recommending them to Gaius and supporting whatever work they were doing. So Gaius knew their purpose for being there, and he could have confidence in their commitment to the truth by showing them hospitality. He wasn't just giving them, you know, like a meal or a place to stay. He was actually promoting the message that they were there to do and recommending them to his fellow believers around him. So even though they may initially have been strangers, their shared faith is what gives them that hospitality together. And to us, hospitality toward our fellow believers probably, maybe it doesn't seem as necessary as it seemed for people at this time. You know, these messengers were traveling long distances, carrying really important messages um, and letters to the churches that they were traveling to. Um, And as we can see in verse 7, they were reliant solely on their fellow Christians for support. That's where it says... um, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, which Gentiles in this case would be non-Christians, not, not like non-Jewish people. That's what Hugh John would mean, would be they're not accepting support from people that aren't Christians. Um, we don't know exactly why that would have been. Um, it could be that they just wouldn't have found any support. You know, Christians wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have been very well accepted in many of the cities they were traveling to. So it could be that they just there was no support available to them, or it could be that they didn't want to accept support, so to give no um, public perception of them being in it for the money or being in it for themselves. So whatever the reason, they were wholly dependent on their Christian brothers and sisters for support and for financial support and both you know physical support like food and things. Um, so Gaius does well in receiving those brothers and sending them along, our, along their way and with support and encouragement. Um, and even though today we probably don't see that need, you know, we probably don't have people traveling, carrying letters between churches, um, but supporting encouraging, and encouraging our fellow believers in Christ is just as much of a necessity for us today as it was then. Um, and that applies not just to our fellow members here at Gateway, uh, but to our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. Um, you know, we're blessed being a, a church that's in a city, um, we have, that we have people coming and passing through here all the time. Um, maybe it's work or school, and maybe it's just a week that they're here, maybe it's a few months that they're here. Um, just to, to give an example, we have Cleveland State right over here that brings Christian students from all over the world, um, many of whom probably feel a need for relationships or, and support in a new city and culture that they're coming to. Um, 
And we have the opportunity to encourage and support our fellow believers, however brief their time here in Cleveland may be. And we can show hospitality to our fellow believers in getting to know them, praying for them, encouraging them, even if it might just be one Sunday. Um, And hopefully they're able to return wherever their home is and say that Gateway is a church that is committed to truth and also committed to supporting their fellow believers. Um, But it doesn't just have to be one person in person. In 2021, we have access to information all over the world and and the ability to interact with people all over the world um, thanks to technology and social media and things. And so we can support and communicate with our fellow believers even if they're not here physically. Um, And the role of missionaries is still just as important as it is today as it was back then. Um, And they're still largely dependent upon their fellow believers, for at least for financial support most times. Um, So we still have that same burden of hospitality on us that was on Gaius as well. And we still have the same opportunities if they maybe just look a little bit different. So that that, uh, brings me to the end of Gaius. So let's take a look now at sort of the, the negative more negative uh, image of a believer in Diotrephes. Um, and we can see that as, as joyful and as happy as John was about the testimony he had received about Gaius, um, he's equally concerned about the actions of Diotrephes. Um, I think it's important to remind ourselves sometimes that this is a, a real letter written about real people. So this is something that would have been read about someone who they knew. Um, sometimes we kind of take that for granted. So I'm going to reread verses 9 and 10, um, and just keep in mind that he's talking about a real situation as I read this. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Um, Who exactly Diotrephes is, we don't really know. Um, This is the only place he's mentioned in the Bible, so this is all we know about him. Um, But he seems to be heavily involved in the same church that Gaius is. Um, And it doesn't say specifically that he's a leader in the church, but given the actions we see him taking, um, he's definitely wielding some sort of authority within the church. And it's important that he's abusing his power within the church. That's what really gets John's attention. Um, and I think we can really learn three behavioral warnings from Diotrephes. And this applies to people with authority in the church and just any follower of Christ. So those three are, we see uh, his pride, we see his gossip, uh, and we see, I didn't really have a good word for this, so I wrote unhospitality. But we don't really have an American word for non-hospitality, anti-hospitality, I don't really know. Um, but John says Diotrephes likes to put himself first. Um, but w- so what does that mean? Um, I don't think he's talking about like the church potluck where Diotrephes just really wants to get to the dessert table first. I mean, is there anything really wrong with that? Especially if Daniel and Amy made something? I don't know. Um, so John is saying Diotrephes wants to be above those around him. He's saying he wants to wield authority over his fellow believers for his own gain. As Christians, we serve a God who humbled himself to the point of taking on the form of a carpenter 
and being crucified on a tree. We serve a God who is mocked and was, was mocked and ridiculed for our sakes. Christians, and especially Christian leaders who seek to rule over their fellow believers, do the exact opposite of imaging their creator. What makes Christian leadership so special is that it is servant leadership. At least it should be. Um, John is warning us to watch out for anyone who is trying to put others down to make themselves look better. And it, we, I think it asks the question, is a church that is built around the elevation of a particular leader's personality or status or ego rather than the message of Christ, is that really a church of Jesus Christ or is that a cult of personality? Don't get me wrong, there are definitely those who are more talented, who have more gifts, who are better speakers and better leaders. Uh, I'm not saying that we all have the exact same abilities or gifts or that we shouldn't use those abilities or gifts. But those talents are to be used for God's glory, not our own. Um, it's right there in Jesus' teaching where he says, if we want to follow him, we must first deny ourselves. So we should, I think he, John is warning us to look out for a leader who first wants to exalt himself. Um, we can also see his pride because he refuses to acknowledge the authority of John or John, the messengers that came from John. Um, and I think that's a warning that a leader that doesn't acknowledge the right of other believers uh, to correct him and to uh, disciple him is a leader who hasn't come to terms with the sin in their own heart. A accountability is essential for every Christian, especially Christian leaders, and accountability within a church is important, but also accountability to the global church as a whole, because each Christian church, as a, as a church, we aren't just a monolith on our own. We're part of a global community of believers, um, and each church is going to have flaws, because the people that make up that church are flawed. Um, and sometimes it might take a believer outside of the church to see the flaws within a church. Um, take, for example, just as an example from the Bible, take Acts 15, um, where we see a group of Jewish Christians uh, come to a, are in a church, and they begin to teach that circumcision is necessary if you are going to be truly a believer. Um, I think, understandably, the, the Gentiles are a little hesitant. Um, but to these Jewish Christians who are preaching circumcision, they, their logic makes perfect sense to them. You know, their circumcision has always been a key part of being identified as a person of God in their life. Um, that's their cultural background in, is influencing their faith. And it's not until we see the Paul, Barnabas, and other believers come together in Jerusalem and come to them with correction that they're able to see the flaw in their logic, the flaw in their belief. Um, what sets them apart now as God's people wasn't their circumcision, it was their circumcision change of heart. Um, so they are able to see the flaw in their belief because of the, the advice and admonishment from the outside. Um, and just a side note, I think Luke documents that there was rejoicing in the church at this message, which I think is very understandable. Um, but all of our faiths are influenced in some way by the culture we belong to. Um, sometimes that can be a real blessing, um, but sometimes that can create weaknesses that we might struggle to see. Uh, we have to be willing to listen to the wisdom and discipleship of our fellow believers, and we have to acknowledge that we are flawed and there will be faults that are, they're going to find in our hearts. Um, the question is really how are we going to respond when, inevit when inevitably those faults come to light. Um, by the, by rejection, 
rejecting the correction and trying to shut it down like Diotrephes here, um, we really don't mimic our creator um, and, and see ourselves in light of our creator who has saved us from sin. So I think that really shows Diotrephes' pride. And his second sin, I think, is born a lot out of his pride, which is that we see he, his second sin is gossip. Um, so he's not content with simply rejecting the messengers that come from John. Um, he, instead, he seeks to actively discredit John by spreading rumors and gossip to undermine his credibility. Um, and I mean, I, I guess it's really good that we don't see this today at all in any churches. I mean, we definitely would never see like Christian leaders seek to undermine any like correction or criticism by going after other believers. Oh, wait, uh, never mind. I guess that's not exactly true. Um, unfortunately, no, we don't have to look very far at all to see this exact same thing happening or very far in the past. Um, and especially when positions of a power or authority are at stake. Um, in some ways, it's actually, it's, it was hard to imagine gossip being more of a problem than it is for us today with the, how easy it is to spread rumors and just outright lies with friends and family. It's, been, it's easier than it ever was before. Um, and I think gossip goes hand in hand with pride because it seeks to tear someone down to make ourselves look better. Diotrephes wants to undermine John's authority so that his own flaws remain hidden. Um, but I think as we've already talked about, we can't be a people of truth and also show little regard for it in our interactions with others. We have a responsibility to ensure that what we say about our fellow believers and just people in general is true. And that calling goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments because when we gossip, we're bearing false witness against our neighbor because we are called to treat everybody as our neighbor. And I think recently we've really seen the extreme effects that twisting the truth can have. And sadly, far too often those things have had Jesus' name attached to them. Um, so the third warning, just the, and the last warning that I'm going to be pulling from Diotrephes, I think is his, really his unwillingness to show hospitality to his fellow believers. Um, unlike Gaius, he has refused to show any welcome to John's messengers. And doing so would not just be a rejection of the messengers, but a rejection of John himself. Because the messengers would have borne a recommendation from John, and John is vouching for their credibility. So by rejecting them, that would be an explicit rejection of John. Um, but it, what makes this so wrong is, I th is that the church is a body of believers. Um, just reading from Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 a little bit, he says, and this is where he's talking about the church as a body, he says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You know, we as Christians, we all need each other. Uh, and we all owe each other a debt of love because we can't say we love Christ and then hate the people in his body in the world. Um, when we try to go it alone by ourselves, we're really rejecting the other parts of the body of Christ. And 
as with all the sins, I think this really comes from Diotrephes' pride. The pride in thinking that he doesn't have any responsibility toward his fellow believers in Christ and doesn't owe them any debt of love that all Christians owe each other. And uncontent with simply rejecting them on his own, he also forces his fellow believers um, to reject John's messengers as well and thereby pushes his own sin onto others um, and abuses the power that he has and authority he has within the church. And this really keeps with his pattern of wanting to exert control and be first, I think. Um, Not only does he not want to hear the truth himself, he doesn't want others to hear it either. He wants to close them off from the wisdom of their fellow Christians. So I think if we look at all three of these together, Diotrephes really gives us an example of the type of behavior we should be cautious of in our churches. Um, John is warning us about those who exhibit this kind of controlling and prideful behavior. Um, I think, especially in our current um, like celebrity pastor culture, we, we too often put our leaders in a position to fall into these kind of traps as, as a congregation. Um, many churches are centered around their powerful leaders rather than the message of Christ and the, the actual people in the church. Um, and we can enable ego and pride because we like the crowds and attention maybe that it brings. Um, and a lot of churches have ignored warning signs of pride and sin in the life of their leaders because they like the results that it's getting. They like the amount of people that show up on Sunday. Um, but some leaders even you know, will go further and take a tight control over their uh, fellow Christians and just completely ignore the, the broken people that leaves in their wake. Or they're just too blinded by their own pride to care about it. Um, but the, the real problem with that is no matter how charismatic someone may be, none of us compare at all to the example of Christ. Um, we are all going to make mistakes and we are all going to need correction. That includes me, that includes Chris, that includes everybody here at the Gateway. Um, good leadership needs good accountability and that requires work on our, our behalves as members of a church. Um, and it also requires a, a leader that's humble enough to allow themselves to be corrected. Um, so we have to work to hold our, each one of us accountable. Um, and that, I think, is why we see at the end of the book, we see John is contemplating coming to uh, visit the church himself in person because he wants to hold these actions accountable. So that, I think, is, really brings us to the end of Diotrephes character. Um, and that, that will bring us to the last character of the book, um, which only gets a short mention. Uh, and his name is Demetrius. Um, and John doesn't really say much about him, um, just that he received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Um, so more, th- more than likely, the reason he's mentioned here uh, is because Demetrius is the person who's actually carrying this letter from John to Gaius. So John is vouching for Demetrius' character and validating um, his message that he's bringing. Um, And John also adds his own personal personal testimony uh, on Demetrius' behalf and reassures Gaius that the testimony he's giving is true. Um, So I've talked a lot about truth today. Um, and about the importance of being a truthful person in general and just in our lives. But I think John, in this situation, is talking about a specific truth. Um, he's talking about a moral truth that we can all judge ourselves by. So what, what is the standard of truth that John is using here to measure Demetrius against and that we can also use to measure ourselves against? 
Um, John doesn't tell us specifically here, but if we go back to 1 John, I think we can find some answers. Um, This is how he opens the book of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So I think the fundamental claim that really unites all of us together and that united John and Gaius together is the life, death, and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and that we are all sinners who can only find our salvation in him. And that is really the solid rock upon which the church and our faith together is built. And without that central truth, I think everything that I've said this morning and that we've done this morning really is meaningless if that's not true. Um, and I think we can just, I think Paul really verifies that point, that that belief is what really unites us together in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So our shared faith in the work of Jesus Christ is what unites us all together. And it's what unites us, brings us here together as a church every Sunday. Um, and I think if we look back in verse 1 of the third John, um, John calls Gaius his beloved brother whom I love in truth. So we can see that there's a deep relationship between them. Um, and that love between them is based upon their shared commitment to this truth. Um, John John and Gaius have the same spirit and same mission and that shared belief is what enables a deep brotherly love together and it should be the same for us I think Um, John and Gaius probably didn't share the same cultural background Uh, in all likelihood Gaius wasn't a Jew Um, but their relationship wasn't based on similar preferences in food or hobbies their relationship was based on a transformation of their heart um, through the life and work of Jesus And it should be the same for us as a church. We don't all come from the same class or cultural background. Um, Our relationships as Christians, though, shouldn't be based just upon uh, sports teams or or common tastes. Um, Those things are nice. Those things are fun. Um, But what really unites us is a common belief in the common purpose that brings us together as a church. And those beliefs are based on a common faith in what we call true. Um, 
So how can we know if we are really walking in the truth uh, as Gaius and Demetrius were? Um, if we, I think the, the way we can really know that is if we have deni- denied ourselves, taken up our cross, and followed Christ um, as Jesus lays that, laid out in, um, his, during his time. And that, that really is what basically the whole book of 1 John is about. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I would encourage you to. It's only about five chapters. Um, it, it's really about what it means to be people of truth. Um, so the, and I think, so just to wrap up, the Christian life is marked by a love for God, a love for his children, and a love for his commandments and his word. I think that's, those are really the markings that he goes over in 1 John. Um, so I just encourage you to ask yourself, do we show a love for, the, our, for our fellow brothers? Do we show a love for God? And do we show a love for his commandments and the truth that he outlines for us in Scripture? Because if, if what we believe is really true, then I think our church and our lives will be marked by those things. And fortunately, we have his word that we can measure our lives against. Um, so just to go back to how I opened today, um, I asked you why you should care about what I have to say this morning. Well, hopefully my life uh, shows that, like, like in the, those in the book, shows that I'm walking in the truth and that I'm a person of truth. Um, and how can you know that what I'm going to say is true? I would ask you to please, please measure what I've said against the standard of God's word. Um, don't just take my word for it. Dig into it, study it, um, check my broken mind, human mind and heart against it. Um, and as, in, as you dig into God's word, I would encourage you to let that change you as well. Um, so let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this, this letter of Third John that we have passed down to us today. Um, I thank you for the example of our fellow believers in uh, Gaius and Demetrius who were, were faithful to the truth and who... Um, really helped grow the church through their hospitality and through their mission. Um, I pray that you would help us to be people of truth. Help us, to, help us to put the work in and study your word and um, build relationships with each other that we can grow and uh, help build each other up. I pray that we would take these lessons to heart, that we would um, try to be on the lookout for uh, pride in our own hearts uh, and any attempt of our own selfish nature to um, work its way into the church and tear down those around us. I pray that we would um, have confidence and faith in the truth of your word and the truth of what you did on Calvary and that that would uh, change our hearts and help us to become more like you every day.